is no junior church today, so kids, please make sure you have your um, children's bulletins, which are in the front and back, and then you'll get a, a piece of candy, not the full candy bars. Those are reserved for, you know, special sweaters or something. Now, as I shared last week, we're going to spend this whole year looking at the life of Jesus. When it comes to Jesus, there are lots of theories about who he is, from a mythical, made-up person, a good teacher, somebody who was embellished a lot, a rebel against the Jews, all the way to the theories and ideas that he is the Son of God. So who is Jesus? Was Jesus a real person? Um, Were there facts about Jesus that were made up? These are things that people ask. Did Jesus himself believe he was deity, that he was the Son of God? Because of all these questions and and theories, there are controversies around Jesus. I, I was raised in the church. From three days old, I was in the church. And even though I was raised in the church, I did not really have a good clear picture of who Jesus is. I I knew that he was somehow related to being God, somehow. I knew he could forgive sins. I didn't know exactly why. I knew he died on the cross for me to take those sins. And that's pretty much what I knew. And I think that's a good start. That's really not who Jesus is. That's not enough about it. It's more of what he has done and is doing. As I grew up, I saw how people had these various views on Jesus. There are people out there that preach that this is actually true, okay, that people are doing this. There are people out there who preach and teach that Jesus may have been God or may not have been and that it doesn't matter. That's what they're actually preaching. And as I heard that sermon and and looked at other lessons that they taught, I thought, how could anybody believe that? The only way you can believe that is if you do not believe in Scripture. Okay, if you do not believe in Scripture, you can come up with all kinds of ideas about who Jesus is. But if you do believe in Scripture, then you're going to see a clear picture of who Jesus is, who he claims to be, and who the church sees him as. I grew up, thankfully, fortunately, going to a church that was raised and taught the Bible is the actual Word of God. This is what it says. And through those teachings, my understanding of Jesus began to impact my life. My understanding began to uh, change how I view things. I was baptized when I was in fifth grade. I made that decision. I remember walking up that aisle, um, had already planned it, talked with my parents, went into the baptistry, and my dad was actually the one who got to baptize me. And when I came up, I had to wipe the chlorine water out of my eyes, and I saw tears in my dad's eyes. And I knew this was the change in my life. I wanted to know more. After that, my worship started to change and get deeper. I wanted to know more and more and and get to know Jesus, not know about him, but to know him. And then I hit those teenage years. And I was at times a very typical kid and teen who still chose sin over my faith many times. And thankfully, Jesus did not reject me, even though I rejected him. And when I'd repent, he came back, or I came back into him. If you've ever, if you've gone to church for any uh, period of time, you should be familiar with Jesus, his miraculous birth. We just spent a whole month in that idea. Uh, you've heard about his parables, uh, 
um, his interaction with the disciples and the people around him, his death on the cross and his resurrection. We're going to spend this whole year or more looking at Jesus. But is Jesus starting the whole ideas, the whole knowledge about Jesus, does that start in the Gospels? What about before the New Testament? What about before Jesus came on that, in that little manger? We're going to be looking at today, the next few weeks, Jesus in the Old Testament. Before we do that, we've got to look at a few things in the New Testament that deal with Jesus and his relationship um, with the creation. There, there are some people who are going to say that Jesus is all New Testament and God is all Old Testament, and how do we combine them? When we look in the New Testament, you're going to see Jesus has authority over creation. He calmed the storms. He had power over creation. Uh, he took the bread, or the yeah, the loaves of bread and the fishes, and he multiplied them. He had control over them. He he enabled Peter to walk on water as he walked on water. Jesus healed people and even raises them from the dead. So he has power over creation. He has authority of that. Jesus also talked about himself when he talked to the religious leaders. And when he talked about himself, he made a very bold claim. Basically, what Jesus says is, I am divine. I am God. We can see this in uh, John 8, 58. Jesus answered and he says to them, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. Am. And that whole phrase, I am, was a phrase they would not say because that was kind of the name that they'd attributed to God. Because that's how God talked to Moses in the burning bush. He said, I am that I am. So a good Jew would never say the phrase, I am. And Jesus says, I am. And at this point, the Jews knew that he was talking about being God, and they wanted to kill Jesus for it. So it, the, new, the people then knew Jesus was claiming to be God. In the Gospels, we can read about Jesus saying he is one with the Father, which means he is claiming to be equal with God. So if Jesus is God, if he's over creation, what part of creation, the beginning in Genesis, was Jesus there? Because if we believe in Scripture, if we believe it is absolutely true, it is divine, given to us by God, and if Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am... If he was there, where was he? What was he doing during creation? Before we go to um, Genesis, though, we need to look at Colossians. Colossians 1, verses 15 and 7, through 17. This says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. If you, For a moment, remember there are three heavens when you talk in Scripture. You have sky, you have space, and then you have heaven where God lives. And so he would create it through the heavenly realms, the three realms there. And on earth, he made the things we can see and the things we cannot such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him, meaning Jesus, 
and for him, Jesus. Jesus existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. What is this saying? Jesus is the earthly image of God. He is the visible image of God. When you want to know what God is like, you go look at Jesus. In him, we get the uh, perfect picture of the nature of the character of God. It says uh, that he is the firstborn of all creation. To understand that, we need to think for a moment about the original language. I'm the firstborn of my family, of my brothers, which means, I, as I've said many times, the firstborn is what? The best, right? The smartest, the most intelligent and talented and most humble, okay? I am, yes, I am proud at how humble I am. So... The Greek word here is prototokos, which translates firstborn, which can mean two things, okay? It can refer to either something that is first in order of time, okay, such as a firstborn child, or, or it could refer to someone who is preeminent in rank, so first in time or first in power and authority. And then there's a usage that means both. What do you think is said here in this scripture? He is first in order and first in authority. That is what it says here when it says he's the firstborn. He is the primary. This here means that Jesus is preeminent. That's a churchy word. Preeminent. What does that mean? It means surpassing all others. He's above and beyond all others. More important, more powerful than anyone else. Jesus is the agent of creation. A lot of times we think God is the creator, right? We have God the creator. We have God Jesus and then the Holy Spirit. And we don't want to talk about him because he's weird. But what is this saying? Jesus is the agent. That means creation cannot happen without Jesus. In Jesus, everything, and I mean everything, was created. He is before all things. Look what it says in Hebrews 1.3. He, meaning Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, meaning Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. Who holds the, the universe? Jesus does. After making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Right there, it just said Jesus is the creator. That's not what we taught. we're taught, is it? We, we taught that Jesus is the, the blue and white robe sash flannel graph guy who was really nice. Here it's saying he is the agent of creation. He is above and beyond all that. Everything that has been was made by Jesus. And this tells us one of the reasons he is worthy of our worship. Because he is the creator. He is the authority and he holds it all together by his words. That means that alone is reason to worship Jesus. If he can give substance to dirt, do you think he can give purpose to us? 
recognize the power and preeminence of Jesus. As you worship Jesus, you should consciously connect with Him on purpose to the one who controls all things in nature, who works all things for our good. And that's just a glimpse about Jesus in the New Testament, about His role in creation. So now we're going to back up in time and go to the beginning of creation. A few verses in Genesis. Um, Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God... Wait a minute. It didn't say Jesus, did it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God... Well, that must be the Holy Spirit. So we have God and the Spirit was hovering over the faces of the water. So we've only got two. Right? But it said Jesus was there. So what? we've got to figure this out. So God creates light, and he sees that it's good. Then he creates and separates the waters and the heavenly realms. He creates vegetation, the plants, trees, and he creates living creatures in the sea and in the sky, and then he puts them on the land, and it's all good. And then he makes mankind, and he says, that's, that's it. That's the pinnacle. But how did he do it? Verse 26 of Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, the livestock over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay, we saw that God created. That's what it said. But it said something very key here. There's a word he used, that God used. Let us make man in our image in our likeness. Who is the us? Who is the our? O-U-R. Well, we already have God, the Father, and we've already heard the spirits. But who is the exact image of God on earth? Jesus is. And if we are made in God's image, how is Jesus going to look on this earth? Isn't he going to have the preeminent authority and power to dictate that? And isn't he, since he is the agent of all creation and the one who holds it all together, isn't he the, going to be the one that says, this one's going to be bald, this one's not. This one will be tall, this one will be short. The simple answer, the us, is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. It is all three. Colossians helps us understand Jesus is the author of all things. You cannot have um, Huckleberry Finn without Mark Twain. He is the author. You cannot have mankind without the author, which is Jesus. I've heard some people say, well, that's not what this means. When God says, let us make mankind in our image, he's talking in the majesty terms. Like a king, the royal we, when he's only talking about himself, you know, it's him as a person and his royal um, majesty of it. Well, this is what I think of that. That's a man-made construct, and it was never used that way in Scripture. In fact, it wasn't used that way until thousands of years after creation. So why would we put man-made ideas into the beginning of Scripture? That, that doesn't make sense. 
Okay, the other day, my boys and I, we were having fun having these theories about what Scripture could look like and, and how would it be. And my son came up with this wonderful theory, and I love this. <laughs> so how many of you ever heard of, you know, Elijah is on the fiery chariot that leaves the earth, right? You know what the theory was? It's a hot rod with flames painted on it. And it screeched and made flames down the road because of the tailpipe. It's got fire. And then Jesus took him up in style. I think that makes sense. Sounds good. But you cannot take a man-made idea and put it in Scripture. Right? Now, I like it. <laughs> I think it's a cool idea. This royal we, though doesn't make sense. It is never used that way. And so we cannot see this as valid. Okay? The only reason somebody would want to use that idea is because they purposely want to remove Jesus out of the creation account. And the only reason why they do that is because they want to devalue Jesus. Bring him lower so he is not worthy of worship. Genesis 1, 26 through 27 is plural for a reason. It is there to remind us that we are made in His image, His perfect image. That doesn't mean we're perfect, no. But we are created into that image. It helps us see the very nature of God, the triune nature, the Trinity. You're not going to find the word Trinity in Scripture, okay? But you can see the idea, the doctrine, the teaching of it. So in the image of Jesus, humanity was made. In the image of God, you were made. You were created. And if you stop to think about that, if you were created in the image of God, if Jesus is the one who hand-picked your DNA, that means you matter. That means you have substance. That means you have a purpose. If you believe in this um, evolutionary burp of matter, you mean nothing. And which one would you really want to hold on to then? Just in that. And I want you to hear this message because there are people here who struggle with who they are. And it doesn't matter gender or age. You are created in the image of God which means you deserve dignity. You deserve respect. You are created in the image of God, in the image of Jesus. Each one of you specifically designed in the image of God. And there's another reason to worship Jesus. Because He puts so much time and effort into you. Usually when we look at ourselves, we see our actions, our past, our flaws, and it just drags us down. But when we look at the truth of Scripture, you are made in the image of God. And right now I want you to do something. Would you like you to say it in your head right now? I am created in the image of God. Say that. You jumped ahead. I wanted you to say it in your head, and then I was going to make you say it again. But now let's say it. Say it like you mean it, though. I, everybody out loud. 
I am created in the image of God. Does that mean you're some lowly peon? That you're some worthless hunk of matter over here? That your DNA is, is junk? We all have sin. I totally agree. But you are created in the image of God. You have dignity. They said, in our image, right? That's what Scripture said, in our image, which shows God the Father, the Spirit, and God the Son. And Jesus was there at the beginning of creation. Not just that, but according to these Scriptures, Jesus is still working. He didn't just start creation and then wait until Matthew. And then jump back into the history books. Okay, Jesus is still working. It said He is still sustaining life. He holds all things together by the power of His Word. That means you are able to breathe right now because Jesus is working in and through you. Your heartbeat is because Jesus is there making sure your heart is moving. You ever thought that you don't matter? And yet the Creator of the universe is there making sure your heart is, bump, is pumping. And that your lungs are expanding. That your eyelids blink. He is holding all them together because you are in His image. This is something that you never understand until you get to hold your own child. Okay? When each of my kids were born, and it just blew me away. How? How could something so perfect be part of me? And I see them breathing, and, and I just mess with their fingers, and I, I mess with little baby toes, because they're just fat and cute. And just holding them. And there is nothing in me that say, oh, that's great, and then toss it. There's nothing in me that would want to just sit there and say, okay, I'm done, and hand it away. Everything in me wanted to just hold and keep it close. And I am made in the image of God, so where did I get this? It's a reminder of what God is doing to each one of us about what Jesus is doing and saying, Hey, I don't want to hold you so close. My boys don't like me holding them close now. They hug and they kiss their mom. They'll kiss their mom goodnight, and I'm like, Hey, boys, come over here. And they're like, Okay. They don't love me as much as their mother, which is good. How much more does Jesus want to hold you? He is so close to you. He is the one who is making your veins move. Making the synapses in your brain fire. He's there with your antibodies fighting off diseases. He holds all of creation together by the power of His Word. Jesus is still working. He was there at the beginning of creation, and that means He is still here. He didn't stop working after the cross. He didn't stop working at the end of the tomb. Jesus was before creation. All of creation was made in Him, through Him, and for Him. Jesus is the one who holds it all together. And do you know what this means? He is at control. He isn't. He is holding it all together. He is at work. It means He isn't. 
Now we jump back up into the New Testament, Philippians 1.6. Because of all that stuff we just said about Jesus in the Old Testament, and I am sure of this, He who began a good work in you because you were created in His image, and yet you and I chose to sin, and He is sure of this, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Who is still working in you? Jesus is. And on His day, it is all going to be finalized and finished. I I need to know, do you really believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is doing a good work in you? Not is He doing a good work in the church. Is He doing some good work in some ministry? Yes, He is doing that, but that is not His primary focus. He is doing a good work in you. Not just the person next to you. Because you just said it, I am created in the image of God, which means Jesus is at work in you. We need to believe that if we're really going to move forward. God will complete, um, complete every good thing that He began in you. All because we are made in His image. And if Jesus was... Um, If Jesus is what brought about creation, if Jesus is what holds creation together, if Jesus brings about change within us, then we need to make sure we are focusing on following Jesus. You've got to see why we worship Him. He is the creator of all things. He holds it all together. He is the one who works inside us. Why do we worship Jesus? Why is there no other name under heaven by which man must fall on their knees and worship Why is Jesus the most controversial person in all of history? Because he is the exact nature of God who worked in the beginning, in the Old Testament, New Testament, and is still here today. Show me any other leader who has had that much of work experience. Colossians 2, verses 8 through 10. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking. And notice where else these come from from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human bodies, so you are complete. You are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head of over every ruler and authority. Do not be led astray by hollow, deceptive philosophies, which unfortunately are permeating not just our current culture, but our government, into our school systems, and into our churches. Many kids are learning about materialism that is being taught in the schools. And I'm not blaming the the teachers and the administration. That's coming from way above them that's being forced down. They're being taught their own, what your idea of truth is, is right. I'm going to tell you right now, you may think something is true and right that doesn't make it true. Okay? You can think that Notre Dame is the best team. You're wrong. Okay? You can think that Chevy is the best vehicle. But you're wrong. The best vehicle is a free gift. Okay, you can think things that doesn't make it true. Truth never changes. There are schools in Fort Wayne, and you need to understand that if it's in Fort Wayne, it's coming here. There are schools in Fort Wayne that have litter boxes in their bathrooms for kids who believe or identify as cats. I am not joking. 
they go to the bathroom in a litter box. And because we don't want to change their truth, their identities, we allow that to happen. If your kid thinks it's a tr- their truth is a cat, I want to tell you how to work with it. When it's time for dinner, you open a... Do not do... Did you just say what I think you said? Repent. I'm not repeating that. You need to give them an open can of sardines and just set it down there and say, get off the table, you're a cat. By the way, it's nighttime. Get out and go catch the mice. Oh, you don't want to be a cat anymore? You want to be a person? Then straighten up and act up. Just because you think it doesn't mean it's true. And yet we live in a culture that says what is true for you is true. And that is a lie. It's an empty, hollow philosophy of this world. And Scripture says, don't be captured by it. We need to be captured by the truth that Jesus was in the beginning, that He worked through all of creation, all of the Bible testimony, and is still working today. And if I don't believe I'm good enough, I go back to Scripture. And Jesus says, you are in my image. You don't want to be a cat. You want to have eternal life with me, and I only died for my children. And we need to listen to that and hold on to it. All these empty identities of the world are wrong, and they will only have power to divert you and to take you away from the truth of who Jesus is. I think it's really good that LifeWise came up this message. We need to protect our children. Not just the children that are here. But we need the children of our community protected. And if the parents don't know Jesus, then we need to step up and make sure Jesus comes into their lives. It is not our job to bring them to church. It's not our job to bring them to VBS or bring them to Sunday school. It is our job to bring them to Jesus. And we use all those other things as tools to make sure they become in in a relationship with Jesus. We need to pray for our youth. And I am serious on this. If you are not, I I started writing a few things that I'm praying for. Like I pray for um, the camp director, Matt Love. He's once a week. I make sure I'm always praying for him. And as I wrote this, I got another thing. Once a week, I'm praying for our youth. And then after I wrote this sermon, I was like, I've got to change that. we got the church youth and then the unchurched youth. Will you pray at least once a week for the youth of our area? And that means children through high school. That they would come into contact and know who Jesus really is. Because this culture is toxic when it comes to Christ. Through social media, our entertainment, government, and modern schooling, empty philosophies, high-sounding nonsense are being pushed, which is why you need to make sure our lives, as he was talking in the Sunday school hour, we need to be talking about Jesus when the time we wake up all day long until we go to bed. So it's the first thing on our lips and the last thing on our lips every day is the name and the power and the message of Jesus. And if we do that in our lives, isn't that going to start cascading and moving into the rest? Brady, what's your favorite car? You should have said it with more. I don't 
no. Dad's got a great point, and I'll ruin it. What's your favorite car? Oh, a Mustang. And why do you like Mustangs so well? I have kids. It's fun. Use them in your sermon. It'll derail everything. So the reason he likes Mustang so well is because when he was two, who was showing him pictures of hot rod cars and pointing out, hey, this one's a Mustang. I'd say, What's this one, Chevy? There's another Ford. Oh, here's a Mustang. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's just another Chevy, and that's a Dodge. Look, a Mustang! And guess what happened by the time he was three? There's a Mustang, Dad. See, the Mustang goes by. I started talking about Mustangs in front of him, and now it's his favorite car. Imagine if we did that with Jesus. If we were constantly pointing at them and showing them, look, this is Jesus working in your life. Look, Jesus is my favorite. Jesus is the one that holds me together. Jesus is the one I go to when I'm in trouble. Praise Jesus that I don't have these issues right now. That it's about Jesus. And have I talked to you about Jesus? And we constantly filled our kids' ears and minds with the message of Christ just at home. How do you think they're going to handle things out in the world? Likewise was just saying, we saw it in the video, that, or he talked about it, that these kids just on their own said, well, we're a little nervous before a play, and, and these kids were nervous about it, and their anxiety, and so you know what the kids did who were part of LifeWise? Hey, why don't we go pray? The adults didn't tell them to do that. These kids, because they were introduced to Jesus, started doing it on their own, and it is our job in this room to make sure that happens, not just in these kids, but in the rest of the kids. We've got to do this because this is the power of Jesus in creation, in Bible times, and to today. Jesus. We need to get everybody focused on Jesus who was at creation. And here again, we see the fullness of God is in Jesus. He is the head over every power and authority. Jesus is the head of every power and authority. That's the next blank. It is through Jesus that you and I can have a relationship with God the Father. It is through Jesus that the Holy Spirit can actually come and indwell within me. Because of Jesus' sacrifice for your sins, there is no barrier between you and God when you believe in the Jesus of your sacrifices. We can go directly to God with our, uh, with our prayer with our conversations, with our hopes, with our dreams, you can actually go to the Creator. You can go to God the Father through the Son and to the Spirit. That means you can live each day with the full knowledge that you belong to Jesus. That your life is with Christ. And that your day, that your being, has real meaning. This truth allows us to do two things. We can stop trying to prove ourselves worthy to God. You are not, because you chose sin. You can stop trying to prove yourselves worthy to anyone else. Jesus proves you are worthy. He created you. He knit you together. He died for you to give you a place in heaven. He declares you are worthy. You want to argue with the Creator? 
because He says you're worthy. And secondly, we, became, we can become true worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. Jen read that scripture earlier. Why can we come to Him and really worship in truth and spirit? Because He is God. That Jesus is the one who came down and became so close to us that He actually knit us and then takes us from there into eternity into heaven. We can live lives not focused on our selfish desires or interests. We can live lives blessing others. Always being ready to share the hope, the reason for our hope. Because we followed the God who has been there before we even were here. It is time to get it all started back. At the beginning, right? Don't we need to go back to the beginning sometimes and see where it was? Well, you can't go much further to the beginning than in the beginning. Jesus was there already working for you. If Jesus was working for you six, ten thousand years ago, if he was working for you through the Old Testament, if he was working at the beginning of the Gospels, don't you think he's working for you now? Some of you have never accepted that. You're still trying to be hesitant and say, no, i got to fix this, i got to fix this. You can't fix it. But the power and the authority of Him who holds all things together, He can do a good work. And once He begins a good work, He will finish it. You've just got to come to Him and say, here I am. If you need that, won't you come? We're going to stand, we're going to pray right now, and then we're going to go to God in worship. God, we thank You so much. We thank You so much for who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for each one of us. And God, we fail so many times to consider the power, the majesty, the influence, the glory of you in all three persons. We tend to separate each section so that our finite minds can try to grasp it. Grasp it. And God, we can't. You are so above us. And I thank you so much that you are not bound by my mental limitations. Help me to let go of those in trust and in faith of who you truly are. And God, as we come back together to lift up your name, I ask that you would invade us even more, that you would lift up our hearts and our voices and our focus so that we can see our eternal heavenly home, to let go of the things of this earth, the distractions, and to truly live lives based on the fact that you are God. You created us and you desire to have us with you for eternity. And as we sing this, bring to mind people that we need to share this same message with. And in Jesus, we all pray. Amen.